Paul, thank you so much for that clear sermon. I think what's so helpful about that is, especially for young men, they look at the older generation and young men think, well, I don't know how to fix anything. I've never shot an animal before. And they have this weird view of masculinity. But what you just described is it's a commitment to God. It's a, it's a zeal for him to know him, to obey him, to make him known. And though that might look different culture to culture, that's what God calls us to. So thank you so much for that. We're going to, we're going to discuss some things and make this a, a practical time for you guys to ask questions. So if you look up on the screen, uh, I have this computer here, not because I'm live streaming any sort of sporting event or anything, but your questions are actually coming right here. Um, and uh, what we'd love for you to do is if you can text. So the number you're going to text is that 37607 number. Um, and then your first message, you'd write GCC men, uh, men's 820. You can text that and then we'll get all of your questions right here. Uh, and that way we'll try to tackle as many of these as we can during this time. Just, uh, again, how to put into practice what we just heard. Uh, again, themes about being mindful of eternity, uh, a zeal for the Lord, uh, a steadfastness for him in the midst of a world that is against him. Uh, gentlemen, I'll, I'll ask you both this question to start. Paul, you, you talked at the beginning about heroes, and we have bad heroes today. Heroes are you know, fake superheroes. It's YouTube stars. It's athletes. Um, I would just, for the young men, could both of you guys give or commend some examples of heroes, of, of godly men, maybe even simple biographies that people could read just to say, who, who are those who have done this before? Um, a great one to look to is, uh, of course, David Brainerd, who served among the um, tribal peoples. Uh, during the colonial period, uh, during the time of Jonathan Edwards. Uh, very, his whole life, uh, he was very weak physically and sickly. Robert Murray McShane is another one, um, weak and sickly. Um, um, a man who spent a great deal of time in prison, a man who defied kings, Yet when you read his, his writings, um, it's almost at times too poetic for me. Uh, Samuel Rutherford, uh, just the reason I give you these examples is because, look, we, we, we always go to extremes. So we live in a society that's trying to make young men effeminate. So... Our reaction should not be that we're going to make them um, power lifters and bodybuilders and uh, Vikings. <laughs> um, the, the thing I want you to see is that the, the man of God, I, I know a little brother, and I, I little brother, he's, he's a man, he's a pastor, and he's in, um, I can't even say where he is. But he and a few other brothers were, were taken in and put in prison for a few days for having church overseas. And, um, and so they got out, and I got a hold of them, and we're talking. And I said, how did you get out? And they, well, they just told us that uh, when we get out, we can't, we can't meet for our churches anymore. And I said, so what are you going to do? He says, we're going to meet for our churches. 
And I said, how are you going to do it? And he smiled in his broken English. And he goes, we're just going to be more sneaky this time. <laughs> and he doesn't weigh 90 pounds, probably soaking wet. And, and he struggles with anxiety. And yet he defies a world power to preach the gospel. And, and that, see, God always is going to use weak men. And he will make them strong in order to do, to carry out his will. And that's what I want young men to see. Yeah, Yeah, following along that same line of of men who in themselves were weak, but God used them greatly. I would add to that, in terms of biographies, Adoniram Judson. Oh, yes. Wonderful biography, To the Golden Shore. Yeah. by Courtney Anderson, and you see in that biography uh, a man, Adonai Judson, who uh, came to faith uh, later on in his, his college, or after college, actually. Uh, so he was already a, a somewhat of a grown man already, and then the Lord quickly moved him to uh, Burma, Myanmar, yeah. and ministered for so many years, and then uh, was imprisoned and and then lost a wife and for a while wandered around the jungle, suffering from what we'd call a mental breakdown, yeah. never seeing much fruit up until that point. He was weak in himself, yeah. but he served a great God. And in amazing ways, when he was brought to the end of himself, all of a sudden the Lord just starts yeah. bringing in the harvest. And there's still a massive denomination yeah. there today who would say our spiritual fathers, Adonai Judson. Yeah. It's a great biography yeah. that I'd recommend for young yeah. men to read. And, and th- those men still live. I mean, l- let me share with you some. I have a dear friend. Uh, we've been working as partners in a way for probably 15 years. And he goes into what I would consider the most dangerous country in the world to go into. And the only reason he can get into it is because he's from that country, but because he has dual PhDs from like Oxford. He's just... He's a genius. And the days before he leaves his family to go into this country, he has heaves, he throws up, he's terrified, but he goes. He goes. There is no, there, there's no need of courage where there is no fear. But here's a man, and, and I just want to keep saying that because sometimes people you know, equate strength with with some type of John Wayne mentality, and, and I don't want that. It's just men who are driven by the love of Christ. Yeah, if I can piggyback off that, let's, can we talk about risk for a little bit and your, uh, your counsel on how young men should approach the concept of risk? Yeah. Uh, we live in a world, especially we've seen it this last 18 months, that is absolutely terrified of, the, of its own shadow, won't go mm-hmm. outside the house. Uh, yeah. we, we know of people who, for mm-hmm. 12, 14 months, have just stayed indoors. Yeah. Uh, young men. Mm-hmm. And they're just afraid. Yeah. So uh, address young men here, address all yeah. of us, about the reality of risk and how we as Christian men yeah. should look at risk in terms of the risks that being yeah. Christian has to our own well-being, to our popularity, mm-hmm. to our health. Yeah. So talk yes. about that. Here, here's the thing. If, 
if I give you a few principles to deal with risk, um, I'm dealing with a symptom, and I'm not dealing with the core problem. And this is going to sound so clichéic, but it, it's just true, young man. Um, almost every time someone asks me a question about a certain problem or something, it's, it's almost always the same answer. When you talk about risk, you're going to have people on two extremes, usually on two extremes. People who are just terrified of nothing and are imprisoned by that fear. And then you have people who want to take risk out of pride and out of some sort of, they want to demonstrate you know, some extraordinary type of radical Christianity. And both of those are wrong. What you need to do is do something that will not only enable you to deal with risk, but to deal with everything, and that is cultivate the mind of Christ. A young person who will give themselves to saturating, that's the best word I can come up with, saturating their life in the Word of God over time, then in every circumstance they will be able to navigate through that with the wisdom of God's Word. And, and, and that is what is so necessary. I see people who, um, from the very beginning, the moment this whole thing hit, they wanted to defy the government. When it was wise for the first few weeks to sit there and go, what's going on? A wise man would say, what is really going on? And not jump out and just be radical for radical sake. But then there were the others who weren't able to either didn't care about the information or weren't able to literally, based on the information, make biblical decisions. And all of that can only be cured by spiritual maturity. And spiritual maturity is, again, the, the word of God. You know, I love little tidbits here and there, either in a short conversation or in listening to sermons by Dr. MacArthur, is all the stuff that goes on here. Is, is phenomenal. Uh, was it a Bible study last night somewhere in, in South L.A., you know, just that springs up, these fruit everywhere. It, it's, it's not the result of strategies or anything. It's the result of men here who are devoted to teaching God's people God's word, and that takes care of everything. It's the same way with this risk factor. You need to be in the word. Your, your mind is going to be conformed to something. You can't escape that. So is it going to be conformed to the, the wisdom of God through his word? Or is it going to be conformed to this irrational age? Young people, let me say something really quick. And, and, and this is so important for you to understand. Uh, many, many years ago when I graduated from seminary, a friend of mine from Canada gave me a book. And it was on logic because I happened to to like logic and and things like that. And so I read the first chapter three times, and I thought, I understand the terminology. That's very important. But it was the most difficult kind of logic work I'd ever worked on. And I went in the kitchen to get me some milk, and I came out. And I just happened to notice the cover. I hadn't really noticed it. And it was kind of an ink sketching on the cover. And it looked like a headmaster standing over children that looked to be like nine years old. And so I was looking at that and I was like, what is that doing on this book? And I 
read the preface and found out that that was the logic primer for grade school children in the colonial period. We are dumb. We're just dumb. And here's, here's something I want you to know with education. doesn't matter if it's homeschooling or whatever kind of schooling or college or seminary. Education and learning, this is important, is based on three things. It's a trivium. And if you don't understand that, you can't understand education. First, it's the accumulation of facts. Now, that deals with mathematics, that deals with history, biology, and the Bible. The accumulation of facts. That's the first step in the trivium. The second is this, logic. The ability, based on those facts, to form a comprehensive, non-contradictory view of whatever discipline you're studying. And then third is rhetoric, the ability to argue your point based upon the facts that have been put together logically and in a non-contradictory manner. In your culture, young people, you have no facts, you've never been taught logic, and all you know how to do is write something really stupid on the internet. And that's just true. And so... Now, why does the devil do this? Why? It's not, he's not really concerned with, with calculus or the philosophy of math or even so much history. He's, he, he wants this type of thinking removed because then men become such Neanderthals, they can't study the Bible and accumulate the facts through exegetical work then they can't take those facts and put them in a non-contradictory manner and then they can't preach that truth. And so we, young people, we have to, and fathers, listen to me. This whole thing has to be rebuilt from the beginning, from the foundation. You can't put a Band-Aid on it anymore. Everything is wrong. But the Word of God can lead us out of this mess. Brad, you talked about risk, and you keep going back, Paul, to knowing the Word and knowing the Lord. And you know, I thought of Romans eight thirty eight. You know, young people don't want to risk shame from society, and yet you know, have a high view of God. You realize I said Romans, I meant Mark eight thirty eight. You risk the shame from the Lord, and that you want to run from that. The more you know Him, and you know His Word. Here'd be the question asked to both of you. Um, how do you develop for a young person? I'm getting a lot of questions about developing devotional habits, uh, developing time in the Word. And, you know, working with high school students, all of their homework is on a device. Everything is interactive. Everything is sensory overload. All of their entertainment is quick. It's, it is meant for a stupider generation. Mm-hmm. It is to entertain just... We don't hold our attention spans longer. And so now you come to something like this. It's black and white, mm-hmm. and it's hard to understand. And, you know, you start a Bible reading plan, and once you get to Leviticus, you're ready mm-hmm. to die kind of thing. And so how do, you, how do you help these young men to see this as what the Psalms call a, a treasure and a delight? Mm-hmm. And, and even how can dads help young men uh, understand the practices of being in this book and how to delight in this book? Yeah. Um, 
The first thing that you have to realize is when you see someone who seems to be given to prayer and the study of God's word, don't buy into the lie that they do that because it's easy for them, that they have a special gift. When I woke up from whatever I was, coma or whatever I was in after my heart attack, and one of the first things I noticed was the pain was unbelievable. They had pounded me with that machine so many times that it felt like all my ribs were broke. And to breathe, I wanted to scream every time I inhaled. It was horrible to breathe. But what's the option? Die. And that's, that's where you've got to come to that point. I read three chapters this morning and I, I read in Spanish. I read out of my Spanish Bible. I read three chapters I have a discipline of three chapters in this before I go do my studies. But just devotional reading with the Lord. And I can't tell you how many times I had to repeat a paragraph. Because I read it and it was like, what did I just read? Still today, it's a fight. It is a fight. Everything in my life is a fight. But, I, but the option is die. And, and that's what you have to see, young man. You have to cultivate discipline. You have to create it. I remember when I first, when I was learning martial arts and I thought I was going to, you know, just go in the first day and get to punch somebody or something. And they made me stand in a certain way. I don't know for how long. And then they made me move my hand the same way every time. And it was just getting boring. Been there for months. And then one day I walked in and, and the professor or whatever, all of a sudden I saw a punch come straight at me. I mean, out of nowhere, I didn't even have my gi on. And as a punch just flew across my face and I remember cross blocking like that. And I went, wow, that was, that was pretty cool. <laughs> and the thing is, is it's developing discipline. But the, the real issue is you haven't come to the point where you truly believe if I don't consume this book, and I don't learn to pray, I'm going to die. And you will. Yeah, if I can add to that as well. Uh, I, we communicate sometimes the idea that, uh, fully supporting what you just said, Paul, but the idea too that the Bible is just boring, the Bible is hard, uh, Learning science and learning technology, learning how to use your devices, that's easy. And uh, the Bible's hard. So we got to take it easy on men and have low standards for them. Give them light reading. Feed them light doctrine. Because they're, al they're already busy with other things. And so we hold very, very low standards for what they can do. Yeah. And we feed into this mentality. And so today in many churches, women are the ones who read the Bible. They have the reading plans. Women mm -hmm. are the ones who have the Bible studies. Women are the ones who buy more Christian books than men. Whether those books are good or not is another question. But it's just, we have this idea that that's just, men are just, when it comes to spiritual things, we just don't need to be serious. Right. And Part of, yeah. 
Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no, go. Yeah. Part of that's the judgment of God on our nation. If you look in Isaiah 3, when God judges a nation, he says, the mighty man and the warrior, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of 50 and the nobleman, the counselor and the expert artisan and the skillful enchanter. He says, I'm going to take them away. I'm going to remove these men. And then look what it says. And I will make mere lads, their princes and capricious children will rule over them and the people will be oppressed. And then it says, oh, my people, their oppressors are children and women rule over them. That, that's our society. And, 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 and so we've got to realize this, but we also need to realize something. God gave, he gave apostles and prophets whose ministry finished, is, is, is done. It's the foundation of the church that we know. So there are evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Wherever the church is weak, it's because either those men are absent or those men are weak. Every problem goes back to that. So we have become Catholic. Let me just put it that way. What was the difference between Catholicism and the Reformation? It was very clear. It had to do, not only had to do with the view of Scripture, but it had to do with the view of culture. What do I mean? All the pagan abominations that have been mixed within Catholicism is because the, the Roman Catholicism went out, found what the culture was like, and adjusted to it. The Reformers said no. The word of God is immutable, infallible, global. It's not submitted to culture. And so culture must bow to the word of God. So the pastors who say, I'm going to preach 20 minutes because my people can't take anymore. Those men should not be pastors. They they have the spirituality of a chair. They, They should not be pastors. And then look... Are, many people send their children to public school for five days a week, eight hours a day. They're being taught every anti-Christian doctrine that they could possibly be taught. And then you take them to Sunday school for 40 minutes where they paint pictures of giraffes sticking their heads out of Noah's Ark and you're wondering why they can't stand. Or we have youth groups that are basically babysitting. And, and guys, it's, it's like, this is not, like a friend of mine says, you know, um, this is not rocket surgery. <laughs> he combines the two things. <laughs> I mean, we really just need to look at what we're doing. And I mean, children, if you could read some of the testimonies of children who were dealing with conversion at five years old in the colonial period, you'd be shocked. They have more theology than, than most professors. Yeah, our, our problem is we, we treat 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds yeah. like 5-year-olds. Yes. And, and we believe that they can only read as much as a 5-year-old, and so we have to give them pablum and really, really easy reading plans and so on. And we just got to stop that. Yeah. Another, treat them like men. And then segregated uh, education. In part, that can be good. But to build a whole system of segregated education. So, so just look at this for a moment. Um, what do we hear all the time? The church never believed this, but now it does. Well, children need to be with children. 
Teenagers need to be with teenagers. We need to put them all together. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. I was raised, we, we raised Charlotte cattle and quarter horses. I was with my father and I was with men who worked those cattle. I wasn't, except for going to school, I was never with those other kids. I wanted to be like those guys who could bulldog. I wanted to be like those guys who could ride and rope and do all these things. I wanted to be a man and I wanted those men to respect me. Now you've got little boys wanting the respect of little boys. And they look at each other, they mirror one another, and they never turn into men. They never turn into men. And, and men have to be, this has got to change. And it's got to change radically, and it's going to cost you to change it. I remember one year at a shepherd's conference on that note of you know, emulating older men. I remember one of the men that was up here on a panel referred to a survey about a students who left the faith after high school, and those surveys have some value, not not always uh, to be taken at face value, but this survey said that the number one influence of those who remained in the church after was they had one significant relationship with an adult other than their parents, a significant spiritual relationship, someone who was investing into them. And I think we see that just all over the New Testament. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 11.1, imitate me. He says, First Thessalonians 1, you, uh, you became imitators of me and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so I think one of the ways then helping young men is, you know, dads, you are gifted and God has put you uh, in your son's life to help him become more like Christ. But also, because you don't have all the gifts and because you don't mm-hmm. demonstrate Christ perfectly, expose, uh, exposing sons to older or to other saints other men and women who reflect Christ in a different way, that's a, that's a huge value. And that's what, like you said, that's what the local church is for, is provide those sorts of models. Yeah, if you look especially at First Thessalonians, you see Paul's concept of discipleship, his, his view of how the church is going to grow from one generation to the next. And at the heart of that is imitation. You became imitators. You became imitators. He says it several times throughout the... The letter, and he praises that because that is how discipleship works. You look mm-hmm. and you see, and you say, okay, there's an example of a godly man, and I have to humble myself to the extent where I, I mirror, I mimic. Mm-hmm. Not myself. I, I'm not my self-made man. I mimic what I see. You know, um, I, the last time I was in the Agua, Aguaruna tribe, just on down the river from Bajo Canampa, I, I came across this young man, he was 16. He had built his house. He had his garden. He could hunt. And he was married. Um, There was a movie made many years ago called Master and Commander about the fight on the seas between the British and the French. And um, I tried to check and see, is this pretty much historically correct? And it's a lot of parts were... The, the, the reason I did that is because when the two ships came to the side and they roped together to do battle, where the one soldiers were jumping over into the other boat, um, the man who led the attack in the midst of gunfire and battle looked to be about 16. And the boy who took the helm 
had already had his arm blown off just a bit before and was still recovering. He took the helm. He looked to be about 14. And that is not too far from the truth. But here's what I want you to see. If you look at the young men sitting here and you go, could you do that? Um, There's something that uh, I work a lot with the Chinese. And there's a Chinese proverb that says there are no bad students, just bad teachers. What if we invested in our sons? And you say, well, you know, I homeschool. Do you homeschool or are you the husband of a woman who homeschools? Because a lot of the homeschool boys don't fare much better. And do you want to know why? Because they're mainly around their mom all the time while their dad's at work. And their dad's still not investing in their life. And so, you know, just young men, listen to me. Your generation is messed up. But here's what I want you to know. My generation was messed up. His generation was messed up. Uh, the, the men that are in their 90s, their generation was messed up. They were just messed up different ways. Every one of us is messed up. You're not extraordinary in that. But if any of us have made any progress in anything, it has been knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, seeking to imitate him by studying his word, by being in prayer and One of the strengths of my life is that since I was even converted, I was always surrounded by men, even when they were only a few years older than me, who tremendously loved the Lord. This is not a lone wolf journey. This is a journey with with other men. Iron sharpening iron. Yeah, if you are living lone wolf, uh, if you don't have someone else that you're having serious spiritual conversations, one of the questions you got to ask is, you know, what does discipleship look like? And it doesn't always look like an hour every single week at Starbucks just talking about things. It's it's life on life. It's talking. To, it's it's having people that know how to be praying for you, that you're learning from, that you're asking questions, that you're emulating them, and uh, that uh, that you also are investing into others as well. So make sure. It's not just you in, in isolation. Uh, I want to make sure with time we get to, probably the, the question that we got the most is uh, that we are, are getting a lot of questions about purity and about lust. And uh, sexual sin is, I would say, the religion of our day. I mean, it's the thing that's most celebrated, that's most trumpeted. Um, it's even become the thing that is identity. And I understand we've got a mixed group from different age groups here tonight, so we'll, we'll have wisdom as we, as we tackle this. But what I want to kind of just address is how do we help young men think through this issue? How can dads particularly help young men uh, deal with this? But also, I mean, we, we could give some counsel here tonight because there are young men here who maybe are trying to love the Lord, don't have a dad at home that's trying to help them through this as well. So we'll try to kind of tackle a lot here is how can dads help and just what advice... Uh, can we give biblically to help young men in this particular area? Yeah, and I would just add to that, Josh. You know, you see it in terms of high school students, yep. so that age where they're in public school and they're dealing with all the social media stuff. And I would say, too, that the number one problem that we have in, in older men as well is the same thing. It's sexual sin. The number one 
problem, the, the most difficult situation that, that comes our way as elders is, is, is the issue related to sexual purity, mm. whether it's in marriage or in singleness. So this is a pervasive problem for men. So, Paul, I know you've yeah. been teaching through Proverbs in particular, but share your wisdom, as, as Josh asked, on how you train and, and instruct young men on this issue. First of all, you, there are certain principles that you have to become convinced of. Um, will I trust the devil or will I trust God? And I always tell my children, I said, who's wiser than you? God. Who loves you more than you love you? God. He should be followed. He should be listened to. And one of the things you have to realize in the book of Proverbs and in other places, sexual sin is actually, if if there was a sin that's segregated, that is pulled out as extraordinarily dangerous, it is sexual sin. Uh, There's indications in places in Proverbs where you don't recover. You don't recover and your reproach never leaves you. So you have got to become convinced that God's word is true. This is deadly. It will affect your soul, your psyche. It will affect you physically. It will affect everything about you and all the people around you. And it is deadly, 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 deadly. It will kill you. It will kill you. And it is more addictive than anything you could ever dream of. Any drug, it is more addictive than that. Um, One time there were two men talking, and while they were talking, uh, one of the men's teenage sons came up and said, Dad, you know, they were at a camp, and he said, Dad, I'm going to go over here with so-and-so girl, and we're going to just walk by the, I don't know, the river or something. And he goes, no, you're not. He goes, okay, Dad. The boy walked away, and uh, the other man said, what's wrong? Don't you trust your son? And he said, no, I don't trust my son. And he goes, well, why not? Because I don't trust his dad. You know, I put put all kinds of... Evan pays the brunt for this, my son, because I don't travel alone, so he usually travels with me. I'm just not alone. I'm just not going to be alone. Okay, I'm old. So if I'm not going to be alone at, at almost 60, am I going to leave my boy alone at... 16, 17, 18, no, it, it's, it's, it's deadly. But young men, here's what I want you to see more than just about anything. When it, when it comes to temptation, the book of James is probably, you know, it's one of the standard passages, but people stop short, and I can't understand why. So it's talking about temptation, it's talking about being enticed, it's talking about lust and lust conceived and giving birth to sin and sin to death, and then people stop there. But then God continues, I believe, talking about temptation. Now he's going to tell you how to defeat it. He says, be not deceived, my, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. So... Like when a man says, how can I make, when an older man tells me, how can I strengthen myself against immorality? Well, strengthen your relationship with your wife. Make her the delight of your heart 
and you're not going to have near the trouble with this. And young men say, well, you know, that, that image or that type of thing, it, it's just, it's calling for me. Yeah, but what is that? It's a perverted counterfeit. It's digital. It's made out of paper, maybe. It's, it's sick. And what are you trading? You see, the devil says, here it is. And if you don't take this, you have nothing. That's a lie. Your answer should be, I'm not taking this because God has that. And the only difference is I need to wait. I told my sons from the time they were young, you know, and I usually tell young men this. They're five, six, seven years old. I'll ask them. I say, so you're praying for your wife? And they go, what? <laughs> well, you're seven. She's probably born. <laughs> She's somewhere in the world right now. You praying for her father, that he'd be a good father. You praying for her to be protected from evil men. You need to act like her husband now. When guys say, well, I'm not married yet, so I can. No, 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 no. There's a girl out there. And you keep yourself pure for God. You keep yourself pure for her. You, you act as though you're already married. You may not meet her for 20 more years, but you need to be interceding for her, praying for her, praying for her protection, standing in the gap for her. And again, you need to act like a man. That's what men do. Men are protectors. And, and so one of the ways you, you, you overcome these offers of the counterfeit and the perverted is by faith in what God says about his character. Son, I have a plan for you. And more than likely, I have a woman for you. Wait. Wait. Because when you sin against yourself by this sexual perversion, when you sin against God, you're also sinning against her. You're sinning against her. Now, if you've fallen into this, be broken, but not broken unto despair. That's one of the ways in which the devil always wins. You see, when, when, when the devil, God will sometimes say things just as hard to you as the devil will say. How do you tell the difference? The devil says, you're this, 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 and this, and you've done this, this, and this. Now run from him. He doesn't want you. You're sick. You're broken. You're wrong. You're cast out. What does God say? God may speak to you even more hard than the more harder than the devil. But he always ends with now return. My mercies are new every morning. Return to me. Return to me. And that's what you need to do. It's really Psalm 84.11 says, No good thing does he withhold from those who walk no. uprightly. And so no. believe his goodness, not the lies of the devil. Anything you'd add to that? In echoing what Paul has said and, and what he's alluded to, even as you were preaching this, this afternoon or this evening, and, and then as you've alluded to what you might preach on on Saturday is the power of a superior affection. Yeah. That you can't merely try to mortify an affection as ugly as it is just on its own basis. 
Right. You have to find that affection that is more powerful and that is more beautiful and attractive, and that ultimately is Christ. And so you can, you can put in all the effort to try and mortify this ugly sin, which you realize is as hideous as can be. And the Bible does not whisper against sexual sin. That's one of the lies of evangelicalism today that says sexual sin is just a small little sin. No, the Bible screams about the, the ugliness and the consequences of sexual sin. But the Bible also puts forward this greater attraction. And until you are attracted by that greater attraction, you will continue to fall on the battlefield. You must find that affection and cling on to it. And when you do, it will make fighting the temptation so much easier. Yes. And you know, just one thing. I learned this from D. Edmund Hebert. He's, I, I just got everything, every commentary. I just love him. And in, in 1 Thessalonians, just, just listen, chapter 1, verse 9, for they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. You turned to God from idols. And Hebert says there, he goes, the, the order is very, very important. You would assume that he would say, you turned from idols to God, but it said, you turned to God from idols. And I think Hebert's right in this. It wasn't like the Thessalonians were there in their pagan temples and stuff going, I'm really disappointed in paganism and I wish there was something else, an alternative. I wish someone would come and preach to us. That's not what they were doing. They were totally content in their paganism, their debauchery. And, and paganism is always associated with sexual sin, even in its religion. They were content. They were happy. Do you know what made them unhappy? Was when they heard about Christ. It wasn't until they saw the light of Christ that they saw what they were doing was ugly. So when you're constantly telling men, turn away, turn away, turn away, they're probably not. And even if they do, it'll turn into some sort of self-righteous Phariseeism. It's like, look to him, look to him, look to him. And when you see him, when you see him, then this becomes ugly. This becomes ugly. If I could just give a practical word uh, to dads from a youth pastor perspective, you know, we've, we've seen a handful where, you know, the only talk about sexual sin that kids have had is don't do it. And that's the extent of the talk. And so I've actually found a lot of youth pastor friends and even sometimes here as well, we have to tiptoe around the issue because it's like, well, we've never talked about that yet. Why have you, why are you guys trying to talk about this with our young people? And so Dads, if I can encourage you to have an ongoing conversation, it's not a one-time talk when they're eight and 15 minutes later it's over, but creating an atmosphere uh, where, young, in fact, I'd even just, I've got a five-and-a-half-year-old. I'd love to know just, like, how have you guys created that atmosphere? You've got, you've got older boys. I'm learning here, so this is my question that I texted in. Uh, how have you guys <laughs> created that sort of atmosphere where it can be a, an ongoing discussion? How can what? Yeah, how, how have you created, like, I'm assuming it's, it wasn't just a one-time talk, but how have you... Well, first of all, you, you, you want to you wanna try to lock down, 
the whole internet thing the best you can. Because it's, it's like, I mean, you know, uh, what do they say? A, a rat can get through a hole about that big. If it, it can get through. Another thing, you want to protect your child's innocence. So don't awaken love too early. Don't awaken desire too early. You want to protect the innocence of your child. I know this sounds absurd, but 12-year-old boys ought to be thinking about, hey, do you think we could jump off the roof onto the trampoline without breaking our arm and over the car? They need to be thinking that way. They don't. So be very careful with exposing your child too early to this and awakening something that doesn't need to be awakened. Um, And only the Lord, again, studying the Bible is going to be able to give you wisdom with regard to that. Another thing, when, and and I've I've heard this from many wise counselors, when, if your child comes to you, your son comes to you, and they're broken and they say, I've done this, that is when you must show them Christ. Christ. To look down on them, to say, how could you? It's just showing, gentlemen, your own hypocrisy. I mean, you know, a man told, showed me that if your son comes to you, your daughter comes to you or something, and they're broken over this, you need to say, you know, yes, this is sin. Yes, this and this, and give wise counsel. But you need to tell them, I am so delighted in the grace of God in you. I am so delighted that you came and you talked to me. I want you to know you can always talk to me. Our hearts may both of us break together, but this does not change my love, my esteem for you, my hope that I have in you. And if you say anything else, then Lord help your own soul. Because do you really want Jesus to treat you the same way you treat? All of us are sinners. And many of us men did not become Christians as teenagers. And we did some pretty bad things. So make sure that your child knows that dad's not going to go on a tirade. Judge him and think, you know... You see a child that already the conviction of the Holy Spirit and they feel horrible about what they've done. They don't need you heaping on that. They need you to come and say, yes, I'm so thank you for coming to me. I can't tell you what it means and how much I respect you for coming to me. And we'll deal with this together. It's very important. Yeah, to that very good counsel, I would add this, that what's very important for young men is not to have a lot of downtime. And uh, it's common in this urban environment where young men just sit around. They don't have jobs. They don't have things to keep them busy. And, you know, as Spurgeon said, the devil tempts those... Oh, how does that go again? A lazy man tempts the devil to tempt him. Yeah, is what Spurgeon said. And so, fathers, you gotta you gotta make sure you not even for the money's sake. Although there's so much to be gained by having your son working early on, so he learns the concept of sowing and reaping. But to occupy their time with construct constructive 
activity that's going to benefit society and going to benefit them and learning things. Get your sons to work. Get them off the couch and, and get them busy. Another thing that's even more important is get them as, as often as possible within the context of, of other believers. Uh, that, that exposure to, as we've talked about, other godly individuals, other godly men in particular, it's caught it's not just taught, but it's caught. So you want your, your children, your young men, to be attending Bible studies, and you want them to be going to every opportunity where they can be with the church and God's people. And when you allow them just to stay home, if they're living under your roof, you have every right to say, no, you're going with us uh, this evening to Bible study. No, you're going with us this morning. And it's not to create Pharisees. Right. But... Look at it the other way. Just allowing them to stay home in isolation from the Word of God is not going to do anything better. So you have to, you have to be men as fathers and say, "No, you're going to go." And I know that this doesn't make you a Christian. It's not going to, it's not going to make you holy. But you'll be exposed to those who will convict you. You'll hear the preaching of the Word, and my prayer is God will use that to change you. But too many young men are just they're. They have so much time in their days. And when we think of what's happened over this COVID lockdown situation, the devastation it has brought to men in particular, as men are isolated in their homes and not exposed to God's people, it's, it's been devastating. And we've noticed it on a, on a counseling side of things. The amount of counseling needs has risen dramatically as a result of the pandemic because mm. men have been isolated, they've been alone, have nothing to do, and they tempt the devil to tempt them. Yeah. Um, Mary Beakey, Joel Beakey's wife, has just, I, I wrote the endorsement for the book. She just came out with a book, Teach Them to Work. It's like reading a Puritan classic that's been modernized. It is absolutely phenomenal. Teach them to work. And men, let me, let me share something with you. If your wife is cleaning your boy's room, you need to be beat. <laughs> you as a father, you just need to be flat out horse whipped. What are you doing? Six-year-old boy, five-year-old boy needs to be cleaning his room. After supper, those kids are old enough to lift a plate. They're old enough to clean it. You know, man. Some of you men need to have a man lesson from my wife. What is, what are, you know, you got a teenage boy and his mom waits on him? Really? Are you kidding me? What on earth? You know what your boy's going to have to do? He's going to have to marry a woman to be his mom. And then she's going to have to serve him. He's going to end up getting a divorce. You're, I mean... I was away preaching and my wife sent me a video. She goes, another one bites the dust. And I looked in there and our two-year-old is pulling laundry out of the wash machine and putting it into the dryer. Yeah, it takes a lot longer. You can put that board up by yourself in about 30 seconds. It's going to take 30 minutes with your boy bending a bunch of 16 penny nails, but he needs to learn how to nail but don't make your wife the slave at all. She, should, she shouldn't be in your boy's room 
except to, you know, pray with him and beat him or something. But she should not be cleaning your boy's room or your daughter's room or waiting on everybody. They should be doing it. They should be doing it. And you're responsible for making that happen. Man, some of you young guys need to come live in my house. My son would tell you, your party would be over. (laughs) My wife's favorite saying to my boys was always this. Now, look, we can do this the easy way or we can do this the easy way. Because for me, both ways are easy. Well, it is nine o'clock. It has been a good, uh, good discussion tonight. A lot of things to think about. I think I will just close with this, especially for the the young men and well, just everybody. It's good for remember the the goal, young men, is not just that you would be a hard worker and that you would be pure. The goal is that you would love Christ, that you'd be devoted to Him, and because you love Him, because He is your master and your treasure and your pursuit that you would be pure for his sake and that you would work hard for his sake as well. And I think we'd all give a hearty amen to that. So it was a good good discussion tonight. Paul, can you close to wrap up our time? Thank you so much again for being with us. Well, Father, everything we've said, Lord, matters little apart from your grace, apart from your spirit, your power. Oh, dear God. Help us as fathers, as we look back on all our failures. Help us to be better men. Help our sons and our daughters to love your son above all things in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother, let me say one other thing to the fathers. Your sons need you. Your sons need you. Your daughters need you even more. You know, it should, there also should be a whole night here where it's fathers and daughters. My daughters need me more than my sons. And if you don't realize that, you're going to be in trouble. Your daughters need you so much. They want that masculine friendship, that masculine supervision, that masculine love. And when you don't give it, they'll find it somewhere. Your daughters need you. That's a good word. You guys have a blessed night. See you all.